Welcome to Church Ahead, the weekly Christian podcast talking about big questions facing the future of church with Rev L all the way from the north of England. Episode 58, Same. We're doing politics on Church Ahead and last week was different. That was how different church politics sounds these days. And today we ask, are all church leaders really just the same? Let's start today with a spot of bother. The Bishop of St David's got into trouble for an unguarded political party comment. Joanna Pemberthy said in a discussion about the Welsh Assembly on Twitter, Never, never, never trust a Tory. Do listen to Church Ahead, episode 36, Tweet Off, Bishop. What does she think she was doing? Does she think that the church's role in the political life of a country whose politics are dominated by two main parties is to publicly insult one of them and, by association, insult their voters? Does she think that her diocese contains no Tory-supporting parishioners who would feel alienated from her leadership? Doesn't she realise that we have a Tory government because... That was the party that won the last democratic election. Does she think she's setting a good example of political discourse for Christians? OK, that's enough rhetorical pylon. What I think was really going on is that the poor woman made the fairly innocent mistake of forgetting she was speaking not just to her chums in the Episcopal Club, but to the wider public. And what interests me is what this says about the political norms and assumptions inside that club. What they say when they think no one's listening, because I think most of them would have the sense to say, yes, both sides politically deserve our prayers and respect. But privately, they would agree with what she said. She's a senior figure in an organisation where the vast majority of people in power are left wing. I suspect most of them only ever relax and let their hair down with other left wing people. A right wing government is there to denounce and make fun of. That's Christian leadership, isn't it? Being bold about the gospel. Now, of course, she apologised and retreated when she realised her mistake. And given she's now retired with ill health, she may have been unwell at the time. But the more interesting question for me is how and why any bishop would feel able to make these remarks in the first place. The reason why I pick on the Bishop of St David's is not because I think she's outrageous, but because I think she's typical. Let's look at the political preferences of the senior clergy. In my series, Three Top Men, I can tell you that both the Anglican Archbishops and the current Pope are all strongly left of centre in their political pronouncements. The left-leaning magazine New Statesman puts Justin Welby as one of the top 50 progressive leaders in this country. You might have noticed how in that series, how little I said about the three men's political contribution. That's because I wanted to be nice to them. And I don't think there would even be any point, really, because as far as I can see, 
they all believe the same thing. It seems to me there is a breathtaking political uniformity amongst the bishops of the Church of England and the senior leaders of most Christian denominations. And one of the easiest ways to demonstrate this is by looking at their record on Brexit. When the UK had a vote on whether to remain or leave the EU in 2016, the Archbishop of Canterbury led the charge against voting to leave because it would hurt the poor, he said. And many of his lieutenants and generals followed him. The bishops talked overwhelmingly against it. The Daily Telegraph, which supported Brexit, tried to find some bishops who would be with them. But they could only find one bishop who would put his head above the parapet and publicly support Brexit. That was Mark Rylands, Bishop of Shrewsbury. Poor man. The bishops of the Church of England were overwhelmingly against Brexit. And one of the ways to show just how remarkable this is, is to compare their stance to the lay people of the Church of England. Linda Woodhead's research indicated that two-thirds of Anglican lay people supported Brexit and that this demographic were critical in getting it through. So even compared to their own flock, the bishops are strikingly and uniformly in agreement with themselves, even when they're in disagreement with the wider church. On politics, that is. On religious issues, they can't agree on anything. But politically, they are very much in agreement. So, what I think we need to ask is why, why, why? Why would the senior leaders of a Christian denomination be so strongly in alignment, even when that puts them at odds with their own people? I've given you the example of Brexit, but you'd find similar disparity about, say, voting Tory or opinions or any of the big political issues of the day, such as benefit levels or migration or education or health. The lay people are more taken with views to the centre and right of centre, whilst the bishops unite on the left. Why are the bishops so united in this one area of church life? Well, it could be they have the benefit of a revelation of God's will come upon them by the Holy Spirit that I missed out on. Or it could be they found a bit of biblical prophecy saying 21st century Europe needs a political turn to the left. And perhaps during the ten times I read the Bible cover to cover, I just missed that particular bit. It could be they're politically wise and I'm a slow learner. Or perhaps the lining of a mitre comes with some special political insight that seeps into the head of the wearer. Here's one explanation from Dominic Hobson in his 1999 book, The National Wealth. I met Dominic at the Southwark Diocese Synod on a Saturday morning in the early 90s. He's a financial journalist who got elected to Synod to help him study the Church of England for his book about wealth in modern Britain. He was really doing his homework and in meeting him straight away I saw a kindred spirit and we got on like a house on fire because I could see this was a serious, intelligent man asking really searching questions of the church. On page 144 he says this, Church of England leaders 
have ceased to be men of holiness or even learning and become spokesmen of the public sector employees with whom they now share the burden of social work. End of quote. There's more than a grain of truth in that sentence. I've said before how the Archbishop of York often sounds to me like the departmental manager of a local authority. We've seen big growth in the public sector, in the welfare state, and many clergy may feel more kinship with social workers than with capitalists. But I think there's more to it than this. So, why, why, why are all the bishops the same? In truth, I don't really know. But what I can't help noticing is that their left-wing political like-mindedness does seem rather helpful in making their difficult lives just a little bit easier. It's always made church life a bit easier when there is a common enemy to rally your people against. Listening to King Charles' coronation oaths reminded us how anti-Catholic the Church of England used to be. It was quite literally Protestant and took the business of protesting against popery and mariolatry quite seriously. But we don't despise Catholicism in the same way. We don't even dislike atheists. Thankfully, we've grown out of anti-Jewish prejudice. We're not really against any religious group, so it's rather convenient that at least we've got the Tories. At least there is one pantomime villain we can get our audience to boo at. I suspect many bishops are going to miss Boris Johnson because he was particularly good for this. Church needs an enemy and right-leaning politicians seem to provide it. She's behind you, Margaret Thatcher, again. Church needs a bit of certainty. And in an age when Christians increasingly question their religious beliefs, it's good to have something else to be so sure about. No, we are not wishy-washy drifters. We are against Brexit. We are for higher benefits. We are against capitalism. We are for higher public spending. See, we've got beliefs all right. Church needs a bit of sharpness. And in an age of religious decline, politics is much sharper than religion. Much easier to get young people marching for social justice than for the parish system or contemplative prayer or your favourite saint, which does actually get crowds of young people out still these days in southern Europe. And church needs a recognised expertise. No one cares whether clergy know their Greek and Hebrew anymore because few people respect biblical literacy. So thankfully, our bishops are all experts about poverty and social inclusion, inequality and injustice, and they know how to put these things right. No, madam, we don't want anyone thinking we're a bunch of amateurs. And bishops need to show their moral goodness. And what better way to show the world how saintly you are than talking a lot about poverty, if possible in the House of Lords? And if you can bash the government as uncaring in the same sentence, as exhorting the nation to do more for the needy, then you'll be seen as a very fine Christian leader. Virtue signalling 
is particularly essential for bishops who won't ordain women or accept gays. OK, I might not be up to scratch with those issues, but I'm really very passionate about the poor, and so please will the Guardian go a little softer on me. And bishops do like attention. It must be very depressing to make a speech about marriage or worship or giving your life to God and find no media organisation is ever going to carry it. But one political tweet, like the Bishop of St David's, and kachung, you've won the jackpot. Your name and quotes are all over the news media. It must be incredibly tempting to offer a not very well thought through political comment when it will give you more publicity than you get all year for preaching the gospel. Perhaps it's not such a great surprise after all that so many bishops have signed up to left-wing politics. If I had to pick out one benefit, I think it would be unity. Not many years ago, I went to a modern church conference in Hertfordshire. It was the first church sort of conference I'd been to for a few years. And I suppose the hundred-ish person gathering was small enough for some of the regular punters to wonder who I was. Quite a few of them had the curiosity to quiz me and suss me out. One encounter over coffee with a London vicar was particularly memorable. I chatted to this guy for about five minutes and during that time he managed to name-check the devil half a dozen times. Who's the devil? Of course, in 2018, in a liberal Christian gathering, the devil's name that year was, of course, Donald Trump. He didn't really have to say anything against the 45th president of the US or his policies or his performance. But he would say the name and pause and look at me for a response. It was almost liturgical. It was really strange. But what I realised later on was that this was his way of welcoming me into the club. All I had to do was nod and say something hostile against Trump, and I too was a valuable member of the modern church community. It was almost like an initiation ritual. I hate Trump, you hate Trump. We're all Christians together with a deep spiritual bond of unity because we all hate Donald Trump. And boy, do the bishops need a bit of unity. Bishops have to mop up the mess of church people arguing about church all day long, all year round. So when you hit on something that can bring the people together and unite us around a cause, we all feel so much better. But yes, you've spotted it. If it really is easier to unite around left-wing politics, then first of all, the church's theological civil war must be pretty terrible. And secondly, right-wing Christians, they're persona non grata. The church's real awkward squad and their disuniting views are beyond the pale. Brothers and sisters, we might not unite around the gospel, but we can all agree, never, never, never trust a Tory. So we are all one in Christ. Thank you for listening to episode 58. We're not many weeks away now from our summer pop festival in the American city of Detroit. 
Next week, we're going to do a deep dive into Manchester Cathedral and the political pronouncements that have come out of that cathedral over a period of two centuries. <laughs>